Hey, what's going on? I'm Trevor, and on behalf of myself, Lauren, and Leo, welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 281. This time around, you're joined by the phenomenal award-winning actor, Kaya Scottolario, and one of the most exciting filmmakers in horror, returning guest, Johannes Roberts. At time of release, their brand new film, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, is exclusively in theaters November 24th. This is such a wonderfully dark adventure that masterfully spins a web of misdirects with imaginative action sequences, terrifying creature design. It's pumped with adrenaline and incredible sets. You can hear about the amazing eye candy by exploring a Victorian haunted mansion and gothic police headquarters. Learn the magic and challenges behind the scenes, the art of manipulating the dark and leaning into the horror of the world's most popular horror video game franchise with a look ahead to what might be next. First up, our chat with Kaya, followed by our conversation with Johannes. Grab your umbrella, get contaminated with episode 281 now playing. Every story has a beginning. Discover the origin of evil. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. All right, this is Trevor from Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew, and it's such a pleasure to speak with you, Kaya. Yeah, and you're in the Spencer Mansion. This is it literally is a, through a secret passageway through a wall of our house amazing i love it yeah. <laughs> well listen again congratulations on another incredible movie and role so throughout your career you've always immersed us in characters that are powerful complex and no matter how intimate or fantastical the material is your roles always feel lived in and real this is the spell you've cast over us to help win skins it's multi-baftas and it's what trapped us under that house with you in uh, crawl what did you find was at the heart of the portrayal of claire that helped you craft and ground that performance well first of all thank you very much that's incredibly kind of you yeah, I, I, what I loved about her is that on the page, we kind of had it all already. We we are introduced to her as a child in this orphanage, which, you know, obviously spells trauma. Um, and then we, we kind of see her go through this really intense event and no one believes her and she's very alone. Um, and then we cut to her in the present day and she's our eyes and ears into the movie we we literally arrive at raccoon city with her um she's come back to this small town to face her demons uh, to reconnect with her brother she's obviously a complete badass and she's you know streetwise and smart and she knows how to pick a lock and shoot a shotgun but she's also really vulnerable and she's clearly dealing with a past trauma that she's she's not ready to face um, and has to overcome that through the movie. So for me, that kind of ticks all the boxes, right? I get to kind of have fun and do all these action sequences and and feel like a badass, but I can also get to tap into some real human trauma and emotion. And, and that's what I love to do. So this was kind of the perfect role for that. And one of the things that we find striking about the execution of this story is Johannes Roberts has a terrifying and artful way of designing truly effective scares repeatedly 
almost to an overwhelming effect to absolutely destroy us. <laughs> Being in the midst of it, what were the mechanics of playing off of the misdirections and sleight of hand to really be a believable part of the magic trick? Well, that to me is, is like the most interesting part of working with a horror director is it's such a skill. It's such a cool thing that they do that they really study, you know, atmosphere, tension and timing. Um, and what's interesting about this movie is uh, with your kind of typical horror, there is a lot of silence or a lot of slow moments that you can play those tricks. But with us, we're constantly on the move. We're on a journey. So it is also fast and it's loud um, and there's rain and there's screams. And he did a really, really great job of being able to still have that tension in there, even when a thousand things are going on. An important part of creating that tension and remarkably unique look and feel of the piece is a person whose talents we've seen in the horror genre time and time again. You've worked with before, cinematographer Maxime Alexander. What do you find about his approach that makes him so unique? Um, Again, he's a master at light. He really knows how to film in darkness. I think that was, um, you know, his major skill coming into this. This movie is set 99.9% in the night. Um, which kind of sounds easy, right? You'd think that's the, the easiest way to shoot horror, but the truth is that it adds so many other problems technically to filmmaking. Um, and he is unintimidated by that and, in fact, is very good at using the shadows, using... We have a, quite a lot of kind of almost 70s shots with a zoom from very far away uh, to give you a sense that you're being watched um, and that this growing sense of tension around her. Um, and that's something very interesting that I thought that he did, that uh, instead of rooting it in a 90s-style camera angle, he still took from those great kind of 70s horror movies. Too. Yeah, there's a lot of that, like, De Palma split die-op yeah. shots and all that. It's amazing. And it was an absolute, like, wonder to explore the Spencer Mansion, which is a legitimate haunted house in every sense of the word, with the secret passageways and this stunning old world feel. What was your reaction the first time you saw these sets and how they were designed to give you elements to play off of? amazing we were really lucky that they they built them that we really had them to play in so often it's just cgi you're in front of a green screen and you can only go so far but we really had an amazing location manager the mansion we found was this big huge i think it was like a mason temple in the middle of toronto and and they had like a whole altar upstairs with like creepy seating and church bells and i don't know what was going on in that house but it was perfect for what we needed it to be but yeah, to get as an actor to get to like touch a wall and really smell a place and feel it. And again, like I said, we were shooting at night. So um, all that kind of energy was already built into the sets. Um, and then you add to that the details that they have from the games of little Easter eggs in the background um, and just making sure that everything kind of felt it truly felt like we'd been transported into the game. Kaya, we're out of time, but thank you so much. Been an absolute pleasure and congrats on this movie. Thank you, man. Awesome. Later. This is Johannes Roberts. Watch your oxygen monitor. You are about to take a deep dive into another episode of The Boo Crew. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Johannes, how you doing, man? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been, been a while. It has been. Yes. I'm happy you remembered <laughs> us, dude. That's amazing. Yeah. Do you know what? I, I remember you. Often, because I have a whole lot of stuff that I'm always like, those guys need that for that crazy fucking house they've got. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Ship it on over. Hand delivered, yeah. if you will. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I haven't forgotten you. I have not forgotten you. I will deliver. In fact, do you, know, do you know what I can give you that 
that my wife will be like, thank fucking Christ. Is the, is the little doll, we have this creepy little doll from Resident Evil. Yeah. Uh, that's an exact replica from the game. Uh, and we use it, it's in the, in the movie and, it, and it's super creepy. And I took that as my sort of end thing. And my wife's like, I don't want that in the fucking house. I don't, I don't want it in the house. So, so I, I will bring it. I will bring it. If you can put it in a glass kind of Annabelle cage, you know, uh, I will. You can have that. Dude, that thing. is very kind of you. And we will yes. we will accept that wholeheartedly. That's incredible, man. <laughs> well, you know how it goes, man. Cursing is OK. I'll do a brief introduction. We'll be off to the races here. So yeah. joining Bloody Disgusting's boot crew via the Speakeasy studio is an extremely gifted and daring filmmaker whose early work includes Crafting When Evil Calls, the first horror series made for mobile phones, the science fiction thriller Storage 24, a creature film for sci-fi called Roadkill, and the multi-award winning The Other Side of the Door among many others. In 2017, he gave us one of the most intense survival adventures of all time with the exceptional 47 Meters Down, filmed almost entirely underwater, as well as its absolutely insane sequel that was bold and uniquely imaginative as the gloves came off reinventing everything. 2018's The Stranger's Prey at Night remains as an unforgettable cinematic experience as it was a masterful illusion in playing with polarity and tension, steeped in reverence and a passion for the strength of the genre, lit on fire with a powerful visual aesthetic and attention to the incredible detail and the artfulness of the entire piece while ultimately scaring us beyond comprehension. Well, he is back with his latest triumph, taking on the world created in the best-selling video game franchise exclusively in theaters November 24th. It is Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. We are honored to welcome back returning guest to the show. It's writer-director Johannes Roberts. Yeah! <laughs> I need, every time I open a door, I need that behind me. I need you to <laughs> be like, like well, dude, we uh, first of all, we were fortunate enough to be able to see this thing early. And my God, this is it's an overwhelming experience. Now, not only to be immersed in these fantastic and elaborate set pieces that you built, but the sheer lack of control of the experience sitting in a theater and the way you created this adventure for us. You force our perspective. You can't look off the screen. You can't turn the sound down to dull the impact of the scares. It reminded me kind of when you're a kid and you go on a midway ride and you ask the guy to turn to stop the ride, but it's too fucking late and you just have to surrender to the craziness. So that all that said, how did you design this journey to work so well as a cinematic experience and play off of a theater's strong points? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like it was like we knew we were going to go back to the games and I'm obviously a horror guy. Uh, and it was like, look, let's, let's go back to the first two games. The, you know, let's, let's recreate my, my thing was recreate the feelings I had as a student when I was playing the first game uh, and, and really feel that disturbing tension. And also I was obsessed while I was writing this Capcom had just dropped uh, the Resident Evil two remake yeah. and it just blew my mind, you know? So I was, I was playing that all the time. And I was like, this is, if I could, if I could get this feeling I'm having while playing this and put it on a big screen in a dark room where you can't get out and, and, and everything's just jumping out at you. And, you know, you've got, you know, out of the dark and it's light, dark, light, dark. If I can get that. I'm going to make people jump out and scream. And, you know, it's, it's going to be an amazing experience. So that was really it. It was, I just came at it like a sledgehammer with my horror brain on. And I, 
always, always just talking horror, just talking scares, talking horror. And then, and to be honest, the, the way that then I sort of, because you can do that, you know, you can, you can create set pieces and scares and there's all this kind of stuff that you can relate to in the Resident Evil world that I could look to and go, right, let's draw from this, let's draw from that, let's, let's have the rain, the to let's totally, let's make it dark, let's make it creepy and scary. But the, the, my guiding star actually on this movie was Assault Breathing 13 because I love that movie so much. And I was like, this is, you know, Carmen is just like the fucking god of, of, uh, ensemble filmmaking and 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 I just thought this this is my way into this narrative to bring all these characters together in this kind of siege mentality movie you know and, and so I just I just sort of brought the two things together and it really it was such such a fun experience to do you mentioned that uh, Salt and Precinct 13 was that your gateway into the actual script writing was that the first moments that you created was everything around the RPD police station yeah, I knew, I just, I, I was like, okay, I, I was obsessed with the second game. And I was like, okay, I want these. I, I could see Claire coming into town. I, I could see all these different, I knew I wanted to turn around zombie in the mansion. I knew I wanted to, I wanted to walk on the set of the police station. And I wanted more than anything to walk into the, 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 the hall of the mansion. I just want to have that experience. So I'm, I'm going to write it because someone's going to have to fucking build it. Then. Uh, so, um, and that was, that was, you know, I was just like, they, they gave me the key and I just ran with it. And then it was just the Salt Precinct 13 was just the perfect. It's like how you've got, you know, in a game, you know, in the second game, you've got Jill and uh, uh, you've got Claire and Leon. And in the first game, you've got um, uh, Jill, Chris and Wesker. And it's now I've got all of them together. So this is tricky. I've got all these narratives together that in the game take place over a long period of time. They're not over one night. And I was like, how am I going to tell this narrative? How is it going to work? How is it? And I really love, I mean, you know, see 47, you see strangers. I love contained uh, locations contain narratives and over a, a, a sort of set period of time. And I just, I just looked at Assault Precinct 13, which is my favorite movie. And I, I was just like, this is, this is it. I'm telling a Western. I'm bringing these characters together. You know, you've got the drifter coming in from out of town. You've got Leon waking up hungover first day as a rookie. You've got these small town guys with, with, with Chris Wesker and, and Jill who've never left this kind of deer hunter style town, you know. And that's, that's really how it all sort of came together. The Boo Crew will be right back. Hello, my name is Elizabeth. Once I visited Dunwich. It seemed like any other quiet country town until I learned of perverse creatures who walked in the night. Of strange and vicious rituals at a place the old ones called the Devil's Hopyard. At Dunwich, I read the Necronomicon, an evil book read by few, but one which explains the unspeakable horror of Dunwich. You ask of Nancy? Yes, she was my friend. And I did try to warn her. But you see, I couldn't because I'm dead. Sandra Dee, Ed Begley, and Dean Stockwell star in H.P. Lovecraft's classic tale of terror, The Dunwich Horror, from American International. But don't go. If you hear the whippoorwills, rated M.
take us back briefly. I'm sure you've talked to, to death about this, but just the beginning of how the opportunity uh, kind of came up to take the helm of this franchise, the highest grossing horror film franchise really of all time. How did that present itself and not only attach you as a director, but as a writer as well? Yeah, it's a weird one. I, I known uh, Jeremy Bolt, who's the producer of the first franchise, well, up until that point. And we met often. I'd, even at one point, I pitched him, hey, when the Mila franchise was still going, I was like, hey, why don't, why don't I come in and do an underwater uh, Resident Evil? You know, because they had zombie sharks in. I'm your guy, man. I'm your guy. So I was always in, within that world. And then, you know, and I admired him very much of what he had achieved. And then, I, like, one day I just got this call from Constantine like, can you come into the office? And I, I went, yeah, sure. I went in, you know, think he is a general went in and, and, and sat there in the office. And then, and then the, um, uh, one of the producers, Alex Westmore came, come down the office and, and he, and he says, hi. And as he says, hi, my phone goes beep, beep. And my agent's like, Oh, I think this is about resident evil. And I'm like, Oh, that's good. I've got prep now. Uh, go into the office and we chat and, and you know, it's it, it, with, with Robert, who's, who's, who's the head of, of Constantine in the U S and they say, look, they want to reboot resident evil, but they don't really know how or what they're going to do. And so we just talk and what becomes very apparent is we have the same sense of humor and we have the same film references. And we just had a really fun chatting experience where we just we you know it just it was they're a german company i'm half german i'm english we're, we're outsiders in la and but we're obsessed with americana and all this this kind of stuff and we just connected and it was like look they gave me a, a script that they had been developing for kind of tv purposes and they said take a look at this and i looked at the script and it i it didn't connect with it but i was like look i want to be a part of this world this isn't it but i think this is a world and so actually, for a long time, you know, for several months, we were just talking about being in business together rather than what the movie's going to be. And then it just kind of organically came to Strangers that just came out. And I remember Robert going and watching Strangers and sort of understanding the kind of filmmaker I was uh, and, and very much about building atmosphere and tone and slow, very, very opposite to... Paul's work in, in terms of uh, my filmic is quite slow and very single camera. It's not, it's not, you know, Paul, Paul cuts quite quick and I, my cut very, very slow and, and Paul likes daylight and I like dark, you know, so we're very opposite kind of filmmakers uh, in, in, in a lot of senses. It just became apparent. Let's go back to the games. Let's, let's, you know, the fans are crying out for an adaptation of the games and let's, Let's go to the mansion. Let's go to the police station and let's, let's make something fucking scary. You know, really, let's make a horror movie. And so that just became the mantra. Let's just make a horror movie, you know, and, and really that's, that's how it then uh, kicked off. Really, the, the sort of turning point then was, was the game, the Resident Evil 2 remake coming out as we were developing. And I remember playing that and then going to them, Guys, this is it. This is our, you know, we knew we were going to do the first two games anyhow, but it was like suddenly someone gave us a lookbook, a template. A, like, it, this is a fucking amazing. This is terrifying. The, it looks fantastic. So, and that then just helped set the whole tone for the, for the, for the way forward. 
Have you tried uh, Resident Evil 4 on the uh, Oculus Quest yet in VR? Four? Can you get four on the Quest? Yeah, it was four that they put out, yeah. Seven scared the shit out of me, and I I know they do the VR in, in, in seven, and I haven't played it on VR, although I have the, the VR headset. I didn't know. I've got an Oculus. Just came out four came out like uh, I think four weeks ago, three weeks ago. It's fucking terrifying. It's hard to play. Oh, <laughs> amazing. I, I'll get. I do you know what? I had no idea about that. I I will absolutely. Um, uh, yeah, I'll get that tonight. Yes, I mean I I love the whole world. The one game that I haven't played is because, and I'm hoping you know this going out on on live. You know, someone at Sony will hear this. I haven't played Village because I can't get hold of a. A five, like it's just impossible to get hold of a five. Yeah, I refuse to play it on my four. I want. I'm like, I want to play this game. On a, on yeah, a the stills and stuff from it look incredible. Oh my god, that'd be amazing to see you do a do, do a film version of that too. I think everyone would. Everyone's screaming for it already. So, Leo, jump in with your question, man. Yeah, working with the maestro uh, Maxime Alexander, you guys are the perfect duo for horror action sequences, man. Two scenes that stand out for me, you know, are the police captain car shootout scene and the darkness uh, flickering lighter creature attack. Yeah. How much yeah. of those scenes, or or were there any that were improvised uh, while on set? None. Well, the the interesting thing with the police captain one is such a great. I love that scene for so many different ways. I had. The, the, the movie, a lot of the exterior stuff for the movie came about because we were literally the town we had chosen, a small mining town called Sudbury, four oh, hours out. With the giant nickel on the hill. They have a giant nickel there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, with the goddamn nickel. Uh, we were there. And I just fell in love with this town because it was a little Stephen King town. It was the town in Deer Hunter. It was, you know, it was this dying kind of uh, Americana town, you know, old mining town. And I would cycle around every night. It was at height of the pandemic. So the way I'd get my exercises every evening, I'd cycle around with the camera and I'd just take photographs at nighttime of all the, the places around. And I kind of built the movie. And it really feels when you watch the movie, like where Chris lives and all these, all these things come from me just sort of going around and sort of feeling this town out. And that the underpass came from that. I, I came to the underpass and I was like, oh, okay, this is great. And we really wanted to do the underpass in a way that, you know, the traditional way of that is to, you know, to see everything and see all the troopers come in and shoot. And it was like, let's, let's just be within the car and let's, let's shoot this in a completely different way. But it was, I, it was a really interesting thing in that we shot it and we had this whole car rig with a stunt driver and the Maxime was outside of the camera with a whole thing that was built out and the fucking car wouldn't start. And, you know, we're doing this. And I've got all these trucks and troops and everything. And then close off, the big clothes off, you know, because we're closing the main roads here. Uh, and the car wouldn't start. And eventually they got the car starting. But the um, windscreen w- w- wipers wouldn't work. And it was pelting down with rain. And so you couldn't see anything. So then they got the windscreen wipers working, but they couldn't get the heating working. So when, as soon as we called action, it would steam up. And... And my, my days were just, my hours were ticking away, ticking away, ticking away. And I was like, oh my God, I'm done. I, I thought that was, I thought it was it. And then I just, it was like, okay, we've got like a, you know, half an hour left of this whole day and we've not got a single thing in the can. And I was like, we we'd choreographed this as a one shot. Maxima and I had, had done it, had just done it with iPhone footage 
So we knew exactly what we were doing in terms of the shots, but there's lots of people coming in and out and machine guns and other cars coming in and out. And it was just like, I've not got a single thing. And this pressure of like, oh, you fucked it up because you should have shot it conventionally. And then you would have had stuff. And I could feel the pressure on me. Right. <laughs> and, and then it was just like, okay. And we, we killed the car, got rid of it. We bought in replacement car which had no stunt driver, had no thing for Maxime. So Maxime had to go sit in the, the, the passenger well with the camera handheld. And, and it's like, I turned to Donald. I said, Donald, look, uh, the only way I can do this is, um, is if you can drive. And there's stunt performers and everything going in and out and everything. And I'm like, I, I, can you do this? And Donald is basically Al from Quantum Leap. Like anything you name, he is done. Okay. He is done. <laughs> and Donald's like, yeah, I've got I've got a like a, a, a like a heavy load license. You know, I can drive trucks and tanks and everything. And it just turns out like he's he's like a fucking race car driver. And he just comes in, does the whole scene. Maxine's filming, machine guns are going off, stuntmen are flying everywhere. Uh, Donald pulls out, drives away, and you can see, like, when he pulls out and drives away, the door doesn't close all the way, and he reaches out and pulls the door closed oh and the car. God. It's just, we like, you call that, and it's like, okay, guys, did we, did we get that? <laughs> yeah, that was crazy. That was crazy, but a, a wonderful experience. The, the sort of total opposite to that was the gunfire sequence, which was very planned you know like you know robbie and 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 and, and dan skeen the, the 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 stunt coordinator you know worked choreographed we, we worked together to choreograph this 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 sort of move through the dining hall uh zombie sequence that was only lit by gunfire and we did it and it, it was kind of a wonderful it was the worst sequence in the world to shoot because like you could be behind two monitors. You could either be behind Maxime's monitor, which is super bright. Everything's super lifted. So he can see everything that's happening. Or you can be behind the director's monitor, which is how the movie's going to look, which is just, we used, this had never been done before. We, we, we uh, built these guns, LED guns. So when the actor fires, the LED flashes on the front and on, the, on, on his face as well. It was it not been done before. It was the only way we could do this, this very, very complicated scene. But if you watch Maxine's monitor, you're not watching the truth. So you're watching this beautiful ballet of stunt performers and stuff like that. But actually, in reality, it's only going to be like little flashes. So you're like, oh, I got the scene. And it's like, yeah, did you? Because you've got a lot of stuff that's not actually going to be seen at all. But have we actually got what we need to see? And then on my monitor, I've just got flash, 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 unedited. And it's honest to God, I was like, the people were like holding their mouths about to throw up and it was impossible to film. And we shot it. Um, and it, the problem was Robbie was too good. Robbie's like a fucking born action hero. And he was just mowing these zombies down. And he just moves like a ballet dancer, an action ballet dancer. And he just like knocked these guys over. And the sequence was, was kind of great and then we edited it and i was just like this isn't working and we we kept going and we kept going i knew it was going to be amazing but it just wasn't landing and and i just didn't know how and it's like what's going wrong here and it, and then we so what i did is i went back and just reshot robbie but terrified 
you know, so suddenly he wasn't mowing through it. He was there and it was all much more intense. And you had people, flashes coming in at you and faces coming in at you. And then you have this whole slowed down bit, you know, with the lighter and everything like that. And we sort of built, rebuilt the narrative a bit. Um, and it just, it worked beautifully, but it was a very, very, very tricky sequence. You know, sometimes when you shoot something, normally I find when you shoot something that is going to work, you can tell it just works and then you can enhance on it. But this was very tricky. It was like, I was, there was times I was like, I'm not sure this is, I'm ever going to make this land. And then when we did, it was just the best experience. It was like, Oh fuck now. Now it just, it, it just stings. Yeah. Oh, it's spectacular. It's super yeah. unique. And I wanted to ask you, yeah. Johannes, where do you think you get your instinct for these amazing misdirections and the things that we really see on full force in this, in this film where something's going on off here, we're distracted off camera, we're being told to look this way. And then you hit us with a scare and it happens quite frequently. What gives you that instinct? Are you basing things on moments in the games that you've experienced? Is it something from things you've seen? What is it? I, do you know, it's an interesting thing. I know the first moment and it's in the movie and it's the first moment in my life it's based on the first moment in my life where I realized that's what I wanted to do. And I, it was, a, it was a, like a, a lightning bolt from the sky is when I was a kid, I watched Cujo and it was, it was my first King, you know, uh, adaptation. And I remember watching the movie and it's, it's so incredibly well filmed. And then there's this sequence the dog stuff. There's this sequence where D. Wallace is trying to trying to uh, get um, the the boy's um, seatbelt, safety belt, loose, and she's sitting with a you know uh, with herself uh, with the back of her revealed, and the the POV of the dog camera goes right up to her, and you're like, holy shit! And it goes right up to her, and then it gets faster, and then the dog comes in the other way, and I jumped a mile, and I remember, you know, I was 13 years old, and I went, I want to. That's what I want to do. That's what I want to do. And I, I use that exact shot in this with the whole, you know, the whole underground park is a big homage to Kuja. And I, so, yeah, from there on in, you know, I would, I would then, when I, as soon as I got a video camera, I would create these little things with, either, you know, friends, student friends, or my, my siblings or whatever, where I would try and work out like where, where's the, where's the way that I can, you know, jump people. And I love it, you know, there's something so wonderful, you know, probably the, the best one I can say in, in sort of recent cinema is, is there either the, the one from The Exorcist 3 where the, the, the woman comes about behind with the, uh, which really with the pool sequence in Strangers, or, or, um, or you know, James Wan is obviously the, the king of this, the, the little red demon behind, you know, um, uh, Patrick. In Insidious, I remember watching watching that, and we I watched it on a daylight in daylight off a pirate DVD. Sorry, James, I didn't put it down, and I hadn't cinema for whatever reason. And my producing partner James had got it on a pirate DVD, and we watched it in the worst, like it's a terrible copy of Daylight and whatever. And I was watching this movie, and I was like, "This is a really good movie." And then that little demon came out, and I remember jumping. I went screamed at the screen. I went, "Fuck off!" <laughs> So I just love, I, I think it just comes from a love. It's like a pure love. When someone can do that to me, I'm like, I, I 
tip my hat and I would just I hope that once or twice in a movie I can I can do that to you whether it's sharks in a flare or you know a, a stranger in a tunnel or whatever it is yeah well on this one it's non-stop man <laughs> it's non-stop <laughs> yeah. so well yeah. um, we, we gotta wrap up here but wanted to just kind of ask do you have a vision for anything beyond this movie do you have a trilogy planned and you know five films what do you have yeah I think the big thing is the intent behind this movie was was unique i think in a way of adapting computer games in that that the 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 way i approached it is if i were adapting a novel as if i had a stephen king novel and i was going to adapt it for the big screen so i took the first two games so seriously and the ip behind them so seriously and uh, my love of them of those games of the whole Resident Evil world is there on screen. And I was really faithful and honest to the material. And I would love if this works and we go to future installments, I would love rather than that we just spring off into our own world of crazy umbrella, you know, corporation or whatever. I would love to explore further the games as if they were the next novels down the line. I would love to look at Resident Evil 4. I'd love to look at Code Veronica or Resident Evil Zero, you know, Train. You know, there's so many different worlds and and, and uh, there's so many great characters and all that kind of stuff. And I, the, the idea of closely adapting these things is so much fun. And so, yeah, I mean, I hope that that's the way forward uh, for for the movie franchise. But we will see. We'll see. Oh, man, I have a very good feeling about this, man. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. as as always, absolute pleasure. Congrats on this film. It's absolutely yes. terrifying. And thank you again for your yeah. time, my man. Thank you, guys. It's a pleasure chatting to you again. And I, I promise to send you that little doll. Dude, that'd be incredible, man. <laughs> you don't have to, but wow, that'd be incredibly touching. Awesome, man. Well, enjoy the rest of the day, okay? Thank you. All right, take it easy, man. Thanks, Jonas. Later. That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 281. Special thanks to our guests, Kaya Scottolario and Johannes Roberts. A time of release, exclusively in theaters, November 24th, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Production tracks for this one, provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying, sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at Tales from the Boo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network Home of the Boo Crew Horror-centric interviews SCP archives Weekly full cast storytelling Horror queers Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective And creepy For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas Listen free wherever you stream audio And at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts